Well, hey, welcome Ethos. Thanks again for hanging out with us today. And if you are newer to this space and to our community here at Ethos, we especially want to say thank you for hanging out. However it is that you found out about us, one of the things that we really hope that you'll discover, even just watching us and hanging out with us virtually, is that all people belong regardless of what you believe. It doesn't matter if you're brand new to your faith in Jesus or if you're not even sure what you believe about Jesus, but you kind of have some questions. Um, this is a space and a place where uh, you're welcome just to hang out. I think uh, what you'll discover is that there are some amazing people who call Ethos home, and we hope that you'll get to know them uh, really soon. And in fact, speaking of things coming up really soon, we are looking at and currently gearing up to re-enter into our large gathering on Sunday mornings beginning Sunday, August the 16th. Now, there's a whole lot of details that we still need to work out as it relates to re-entering back into that large gathering. And, uh, but before we get there, we do have a couple dates too that we wanna, make, uh, we wanna make you aware of. In fact, we have a team night coming up on July 23rd, so Thursday night. Of course, if you've ever been a part of our team nights, these are for all of our servant leaders or anybody who leads a group. And we would love to see you there. If you serve at Ethos in any capacity, we would love for you to be with us at team night. And we are gonna do everything that we can to continue to practice safe social distancing, especially at events like team night. Meals gonna be provided. We're also childcare provided, but we do need you to register. It'll be held at Nationwide Conference Center. That's gonna be our new venue. It'll be our new home for Sunday mornings. And so it's going to be at Nationwide Conference Center, and we'd love for you to be there. And then on July 26th, Sunday, we're going to be doing a park day from 10 to 1 p.m., and it's going to be a blast. Inflatables, food, food trucks, games for kids and adults, and so you're going to have so much fun at park day. We're going to do that on our property off of Africa Road. August 2nd, Servant Leader run through service. We're gonna have a separate servant leader service. You'll hear more information about that if you're a servant leader. August 9th, another park day. More information about why we're doing two park days. I'll kind of share some details about why we're doing two park days coming up. Very intentional there. But And then August 16th, we're gonna re-enter into the large gathering. So we put all those dates on the screen somewhere so that you can screen grab it, take a picture, remember it, put it in your calendar. But we'd love for you to participate and be involved in those in those opportunities. Hey, we are closing out a collection of talks that we've been in called We Are With You. And really we've been talking all about um, just how we can as a community lean further into the topic of race, racial reconciliation, uh, to kind of confront some things in our own lives, some prejudices, some ideologies, some ways of thinking that aren't healthy, and how we can be a part of the solution, a part of making a difference. Our vision at Ethos is to really make a difference. We want to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and then live on a mission for Jesus to make a difference. And this is a great opportunity and a great season in really the history of our world, certainly our nation, to really do that, to really make a difference. So today I want to close it out though with uh, a conversation um, called peacekeeping or peacemaking. And I say a conversation because I really think the best part of any time that we gather together is not just this monologue, but the dialogue that we can potentially have after the monologue concludes. And so if you're in a community group, uh, the questions afterwards are way more important than anything that we say right now. To kind of chew on what we're saying and to digest and discuss that with some friends, that's what living life together 
in pursuit of following Jesus is really all about. If you're not in a community group, no worries. We'd encourage you to do that with people in your home, maybe a roommate or your spouse or a friend over the phone or FaceTime. But nevertheless, really kind of let these things meddle within you, so to speak. So before we go any further and jump into this, I want us to, to pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the moments that we have to gather together. And God, we ask that every single person who's listening or watching right now would experience your love and your presence in a fresh way today, and that you would continue to show yourself faithful as you promised that you always would in all of our lives. God, make up the distance between what I prepared to say and what you wanna speak to every heart and mind, young and old, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, I, was a, I was a youth pastor for um, about nine years, and so a pretty significant portion of my life was spent um, with students, junior high and high school students. In fact, huge shout out again to our Ethos youth team. We've been doing youth camp on Tuesday nights, and it's been so much fun. A lot of your students, a lot of your children, uh, a lot of your kids have been participating in Ethos Youth and they're having a blast. And it's in large part because our Ethos Youth leaders are amazing and they're doing such an incredible job leading our youth. And I'm having so much fun at it. It's bringing out those youth pastor roots within me. But being a youth pastor for as long as I was, it, I learned a lot. But what's interesting now, especially this past Tuesday, I had the amazing privilege of sharing and teaching at our youth camp. And one of the things that was so unique for me was was just kind of how far I had to come across the, the proverbial room, so to speak, in order to connect and understand youth. In fact, the first week of youth camp, there was some words and some language that was being used, and I was like, what does that mean? I have no idea what you are talking about right now. There was a word introduced, or a phrase rather, called full send. All of our youth students right now, they know exactly what I'm talking about. All of our youth leaders know what I'm talking about. I didn't know what full send meant. Uh, what is full send? And it's some phrase that means to go all in. I'm still not entirely sure what it means, but nevertheless, the point is, I feel like today, I have to come a whole lot further across the room to connect and relate with youth than I used to 10, 15 years ago when I was, a, when I was still a youth pastor. And I think that in so many ways is indicative of what God in our pursuit of following his son Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit, is asking us to do on a daily, regular, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. As a community at Ethos, my prayer for us right now, what I've been praying for us specifically over this past week, is that, is that we would endeavor to work and to walk further across the room to understand than we've ever been willing to walk before. We, we gotta be committed to a journey of walking further, an effort to understand, and also really, to be honest with you, Ethos, in, in an effort also just to be understood. See, Jesus, Jesus always met people at the point of their pain. This is what Jesus did. In fact, in John chapter one, I believe it's somewhere around verse 13 or 14, the author, the apostle John, he, he says that the word became flesh the word referring to Jesus, and dwelt among us. This is in reference to Jesus stepping out of heaven and becoming one of us in the likeness of us. And it says that he dwelt among us. And I want us to embrace that word among. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus steps out and he dwells among us. 
See, see, we, we, we have to believe in all people of all ages so deeply that it drives us to be among people, to go the distance for people. Not expecting people to come to us, but we got to be those people as a church, as a community of ethos, who go to people. My prayer right now and what I'm asking the Lord is, God, show us how we can be the church that you really want us to be. We, we have to choose to become the church that Jesus truly wants us to become. I think one of the reasons why this particular season, uh, as it relates to not just COVID-19, but all of what's happening with race has been so challenging for so many of us, is because it's confronted some deep-rooted issues within us, some prejudices within us, myself included, some, some ideologies, some ways of thinking within all of us that that we're like, I don't know what to do with that. And it makes me uncomfortable. And so what I do is I kind of run from it or I brush those things under the rug because I just kind of want to keep the peace that I have within me the same way that it's always been. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus is sharing with us what is frequently referred to as the Beatitudes. And it's at the very beginning of a message that's called the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. What one, one scholar that I read recently said, peacemakers are purposefully peace diffusers, while peacekeepers are purposefully people pleasers. There's this differentiation here between peacemakers and peacekeepers. Now, Jesus, he's the ultimate, what Isaiah calls the prince of peace. In fact, we would say that he's the ultimate mediator who made peace both between God and man and also historically between people who were segregated as well. He, he brought peace between groups of people who were racially and historically um, really frustrated with each other, extremely segregated amongst one another. And yet Jesus was constantly engaging in conflict. Think about that for just a moment, okay? Because I think sometimes we have this mentality, especially in kind of our, our Western way of thinking, that Jesus kind of everywhere just went around and, you know, just kind of pranced through fields of daisies and flowers and, and just said things that never really upset the popular folk or the ideals of the day. But rather, it was completely opposite of that. I really do believe that many of which, most of which what Jesus was speaking and sharing, he said with a smile on his face and yet at the same time was directly addressing and engaging in conflict and challenging religious beliefs, confronting sin, questioning disciples, preaching despite persecution. He was consistently willing to rock the boat in an effort to give lasting peace, to set people free to show people the true way, not just to give fake temporary peace. See, I'm not going to lie. Jesus' version of peacemaking looks drastically different from mine. But that needs to change. I, I, I'm learning one thing about Jesus right now as I'm reading through and trying to just study what does it look like today for us to be peacemakers I'm realizing that Jesus modeled for us that the process to peace is usually anything but peaceful. The process to peace is oftentimes not that peaceful. 
I want to I want to look at this story just briefly and then share with us three points and I'm hoping that these three points will be practical enough that not only can we discuss them but we can begin to apply them as well but but I want us just to just to for the next two minutes look at this story about the Apostle Peter. Now, Peter, uh, if you grew up in church or you're familiar with the scriptures a little bit, you've you probably heard of Peter. But if you're not, um, he's a pretty influential character within the early church and certainly a, an influential character in so many of our lives today as well. In, in a lot of ways, when we think about the Bible in the newer portion referred to as the New Testament, we've got that Jesus is the, the, he's the hierarchy. He, he, I mean, he's the man, right? And, and then you've got the Apostle Paul, who wrote about two thirds, almost two thirds of the of the New Testament? Then you've got Peter, so he's 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 kind of up there on the Mount Rushmore of influential historical Christian figures. And the the Apostle Peter comes from Jerusalem to a city called Antioch, and he's really just coming for a visit, but he's staying for quite some time. And during his time in Antioch, he begins to see something that he was not accustomed to seeing in Jerusalem. He begins seeing Jews and Gentiles, a segregated group of people, living in community with one another. Now, I want to define community like this. It's the deepest thing in you connecting with the deepest thing in me, and it results in a sense of belonging as if we're family. And Peter sees this among what he had always viewed previously as two very segregated groups of people. But something happens sometime later while Peter is hanging out in Antioch where there's some Jewish believers who show up at Antioch and Peter begins to segregate himself from the Gentiles. So he only hangs out with Jewish people now because Jewish people show up who were not accustomed to the way in which Jews and Gentiles were living in community with one another. And they begin to kind of look down upon and push their prejudiced ways of thinking upon what is supposed to be a leader in the church, Peter. And Peter succumbs. He conforms to the way of thinking that these Jewish believers bring to the city of Antioch. And and it creates some confusion within the church. Now, the Apostle Paul, he gets involved. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul describes for us this point of contention, this, 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 this contentious moment that he and Peter have with one another. And he says this in verse 11, that when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he was doing was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, or in other words, insisted on the necessity of a previous way of thinking and doing that was once considered right, but has no longer any relevance to the way in which we follow Jesus now. And it says in verse 13 that as a result, Some other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. We all do this. We all have the tendency to follow the hypocrisy of leaders in our lives, whether it's in media, whether it's in politics, whether it's even spiritual leaders in our own lives. I'll be honest with you, there's times in my own life where I realize I'm being hypocritical. And we all have this tendency, this propensity, this proclivity to lean in and just kind of be like, well, they're doing it, so I guess that's what I should do too because it's the popular way of thinking or doing or behaving. And it says in in verse 
13, it goes on, it says, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? I mean, just straight head on, Paul's like, hey, Peter, you're wrong. Can you imagine? I mean, these guys are like the cream of the crop. They're the best of the best. They're the two religious leaders of the day as it relates to following Jesus, who everybody's like, oh, Paul and Peter, they're the best. Everybody else is awesome too, but like they're the leaders of all of the leaders. And yet they find themselves in this contentious moment. I don't like contentious moments. And I'd venture to say that most of you don't like them either. Now, every once in a while you come across somebody who it's like they're just always looking for a fight. It's like they live for conflict. But for the most part, most of us just aren't there. We, we, we would rather be peacekeepers than peacemakers. Let me explain it a little bit further like this. Every time that Courtney comes to me, every time that my wife comes to me and she says, Babe, we need to talk. I do not like those words. <laughs> and she doesn't like it when I say those words to her either. I say, hey, babe, we need to talk. Usually we both respond with, oh, okay. Because we know what's to come. We, we know that there's a confrontation of sorts. But what I've discovered in my own life is that where there is no confrontation, we have limited perspective. I want to share just briefly three, what we're going to call key truths for true relational peace. Not just being peacekeepers, but rather peacemakers. The first one is that we got to understand that honesty breeds harmony. See, honesty is hard for a peacekeeper. Not necessarily for a peacemaker, but honesty is very hard for a peacekeeper. Not because they don't have opinions or feelings, but because they don't know how other people are going to receive their opinions or feelings. And the truth is is that there will always be a risk of disagreement when you share your thoughts, your ideas, or your feelings. Suppose for a moment that a friend is in a rough situation and you see the problem, but you're afraid to talk to them about it because you're concerned that they're going to be offended. So you've got a decision, a choice. You can either pat them on the back and be about their feelings by not being honest, or you can be about their freedom by letting them know what you see. You can be about their, about their feelings or you can be about their freedom, but you gotta understand that honesty will ultimately be the only thing that can bring about true harmony. Now also understand that not honesty doesn't always bring about harmony though. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, but it is the first step to the potential of a harmonious relationship of which I believe is what the body of Jesus is supposed to embody. That if we are truly one body, thereby representing one family under the headship, the lordship, the leadership of Jesus Christ, then we have to pursue harmony within that family, within that body, because a healthy family is willing to have difficult conversations while still remaining seated at the table. The second thing we got to know is that disagreement doesn't have to equal disrespect. See, we all know some people who will argue about anything. In fact, if you don't know that person, hop on Facebook for five minutes. 
and you will find that person. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know why or how Facebook ever became the place for everybody just to share their feelings. It's like the spot for hot topics and contentious commenting behind the safety of your computer screen. But you're, you're sure to find somebody who has a degrading argument happening on somebody's page. But there's, there's a special tension to be held in the midst of disagreement. It's the tension of truth and love. Okay, this, this tension involves speaking honestly about what you believe about to be true while still giving value to the other person and to what they are saying. I want to say that just again really quick. It, it involves speaking honestly about what you believe, believe to be true while still giving value to the other person into what they are saying. It's the position of seeking first to understand, not just wanting to be understood. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul is writing, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Jesus Christ. See, oftentimes we want to operate from either true or love, but the power is in the tension of operating within both of those. See, we must have the boldness to be honest about truth and the maturity to be attentive instead of defensive. We got to have both. As Jesus follows, we have to fight for the tension of maintaining both in our lives. If we're really going to be a body, if we're really going to be a family, if we're really going to represent Jesus, we got to have both. And the third thing is, peacekeeping is passive. Peacemaking is proactive. See, keeping peace tends to look like letting things slide and turning a blind eye for the sake of avoiding confrontation. And this type of passivity can eventually become a breeding ground for injustice, for festering wounds of bitterness, for relational breakdown. See, I... I've seen so many people even just leave healthy relationships. The, the idea right now of what we're experiencing all across our country and the world of this thing that's called cancel culture, it's the idea that if you say one thing that I don't agree with, I'm in one sense canceling our entire relationship from this moment forward forevermore. It's almost like, it's almost like there's this fear within any of us to confront what we disagree with. And as a result, we run from it. I've seen so many people leave churches. I mean, countless number of people separate themselves from the healthy body of Jesus Christ because they didn't agree with something. And rather than confronting it in a healthy manner with truth and love, they just ran from it. Some people will brush it under the rug. That's just love. Some people will just run from it. That's just truth. And Jesus says, I want you to bring both of those things together. See, making peace looks like actively reconciling and conversing and struggling with oneself and with one another to reach peace. Now, not every conflict is going to result in both parties agreeing. In fact, most of the time, two parties can, can actually peacefully agree to disagree while still respecting and honoring the other and still living in the same family together. So, so I, want us, I want us to now just kind of digress for a moment as we conclude here 
and go back to this confrontation that Peter and Paul had with one another. What happened to Peter after Paul had this conversation? What happened? What happened after Paul publicly confronts Peter and is like, hey, Peter, what you're doing is wrong, man. It's not good. It's not, it's not healthy. And some other people are following you in this, in this divisive behavior. Well, Peter, in his letter to the church, referred to as 1 Peter in the second chapter, verse 16, he, he writes this. He says, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. In other words, he's saying, look, you're, you're free, but, but we, we still are under the leadership of Jesus. He says, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. All people. He says respect everyone and love the family of believers. I'll tell you what, man, I could preach a whole series on that one phrase right there. He says, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. What Peter is essentially saying here is that I took what Paul had told me, I applied it, I opened myself up to the confrontation and I said, okay, with a humble heart, I'm going to hear what my brother Paul has to say. And I'm going to adjust my attitude, my behavior, because I know that what I was doing was not right. It was hypocritical and I need to lead better than that. See, this assures us that through welcoming confrontation, facing the challenge and really accepting the coaching of our peers around us, Jesus can change our hearts. See, being a community of peacemakers requires a heart of humility, both in the confronter and in the confronted. We gotta have that posture of, I wanna learn. We also have to be willing to ask stupid questions in fear that, I don't know how you're gonna answer this question. I don't know if this is even the right question to ask, but I, but I want to be able to ask it. I want to be able to have a, a real honest, heartfelt, open dialogue without being afraid that you're going to cancel me out because I said something wrong. I want to be able to have that type of relationship. I want to be able to have that type of community, that type of family. And I believe that's what ethos is. I believe that's who Jesus is calling us to be. And I believe that will be a distinguishing characteristic of our community for years and decades to come. I want to close with Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Paul again is writing, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, not as far as it depends on your brother sitting next to you, your sister across the room from you, but as far as it depends on you, we got to take personal responsibility. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. May we aim, my prayer is that we would aim to live our lives actively making peace instead of just trying to keep it so that we could fight for true justice, not hypocrisy, but that we could lean into being the church and the people that Jesus is calling us to be. That's why we say we're with you because we are with all people.